1: Presented by at and Connecting changes everything.
2: Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you homes.com we've
0: done your homework when you have health insurance it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs that can be a lot of money but are your bills
2: accurate well it's estimated that over 50 percent of medical bills contain errors
0: This episode contains discussions of suicide. Listener discretion is advised. If you or a loved one is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255.
1: I think I was old enough to think, not like, oh my God, she lied to me, I can't believe she did that, but I think I had the thought, well, there must be a reason she lied about it. There must be a reason she didn't want me to know. I think I was worried about, like, upsetting her, or... I wouldn't say I was scared. I was more nervous to say anything. So I just... That's kind of my MO. I'm, like, nervous. Sometimes if I'm scared or nervous to do something, I just don't do it. Or I put it off, or I procrastinate it.
2: That's Lindsay Romer. And this is a story of a layered secret the kind that begins in childhood and moves through life in various ways, sometimes so subtle that we don't even know what's happening. We just have a faint whiff of something not quite adding up, not quite making sense. And, as always, when the secret is finally spoken, fully revealed, finally, though it may be shocking, finally we understand. Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves.
1: I grew up in Baltimore County, Maryland. I was born there, and I really have nothing but positive memories of my childhood, even with You know, my parents got divorced when I was, I think, maybe, like, three. But I still, everything, I think, is when you're a child, you kind of see everything with rose-colored glasses, I guess, if that makes sense. It was just kind of normal. There were kids that I went to school with or that I knew that seemed to have a whole lot of things, things that they did in their lives, sometimes, like, more than, I guess, what I felt like I had, but I never felt like I was missing anything. My mom was always very loving and caring and we had a cute little house in Baltimore County, and it was me and my brother.
2: And your brother is? He's three years younger than me. Do you have memories of that really early childhood time? I know your father died when you were five. Do you have memories of him?
1: He was actually a magician. he used to, you know, do shows all over the place and would always do my birthday parties. And I just remember him as like a happy, just kind of glowing, magical person. I don't ever remember him seeming or being sad or upset.
2: Do you have any memories of his performing at your at your birthday
1: parties? I do. There's one in particular. It's just kind of like a flash of a memory sitting in front of the bay window at our old house and maybe it was probably a a small party, maybe I had like seven or eight friends over and he did, you know, was doing some magic tricks and it was this combination of so excited and happy that he was performing for us and also like very proud, you know, thinking like, oh my God, my friends must think this is so cool. My dad's a magician and maybe cool wasn't the word I used, but oh my God, my dad's a magician. Like this is kind of as good as it gets (laughs) for a tiny kid. I remember being at one of his magic shows in the theater, and I was either in the front row or pretty close to the front row, and I had, I remember these sun-kissed fruit snacks that my mom used to buy, and they were little, little, like, pellet-shaped things, and I would mush them onto my fingernails and pretend that I had pretty fancy lady nails. And I remember watching one of his magic shows while sitting, doing that with my nails in the audience. After my parents separated, he had, um you know, obviously his own place. And it was just decorated with so much magic stuff. I remember there was a slot machine that took dimes and he would just have this unlimited supply of dimes and would just let me play on that. Did your mom work as well? She did. She still has the same job she had um, out of school. She went to Micah and she's an interior designer.
2: Tell me a little bit more about your mother.
1: My mom, she is somebody I hold as... You know, like I said, my brother's one of my best friends. I hold my mom just as close. Um, She's someone over the years that I have grown to develop just so much respect for and so much love. I've always loved her. I've never, there's never a point in my life when I was like, you know, my mom's the meanest other than probably when I was going through puberty and she told me I couldn't go to the movies or something. But uh, she is someone that I now have two stepdaughters that are nine and 11. And there's so many times that I will call her or text her and be like, oh, my God, one of them just did something to me that really upset me or hurt my feelings. And I know I did the same thing to you. And I'm so sorry. And, you know, this gives me this whole new level of respect for her, I think, as a parent. And one thing that always stuck out to me is when we were kids, you know, we weren't wealthy by any means. But she never, If you know, me and my brother would ask for a million things as kids do, whether we were at the grocery store, Toys R Us or wherever. And she would never say, we can't afford that. She would just say, we don't need that. And that was something that looking back as an adult, I think was just um, a wise, I guess, way of saying that to us Mm -hmm. and kind of helped me, I guess, as I grew up as an adult, evaluate, you know, do I need this? No, I don't need this. Maybe I'll just put it back on the shelf. I shouldn't get it today.
2: Right. That's so interesting. So it, it wasn't coming from a place of scarcity, but from like a value judgment or a weighing What's necessary or what we need and what we don't. Mm -hmm. So, Lindsay's dad is a magician. Really, this has got to be like hitting the parental jackpot. Well, maybe astronaut or owner of a candy factory. It's been a couple of years since her parents' marriage ended. Her parents now share custody, and Lindsay's father is supposed to be picking. Lindsay and her brother up for their time with him. But on this particular night, he never shows.
1: It was a Tuesday night and my mom was out of town and my grandmother was staying with us and he just didn't show up. And I remember like looking out the window and it just got later and later and later and he just never arrived. My grandmother eventually was like, you know, it's too late, you guys have to go to bed, let's just go to bed. And the next day my mom came back from her trip early. I wasn't expecting her that early. And there were all these people in her house and I couldn't find my mom. They were just, I kept being like, where's my mom? Where's my mom? And I remember people being like, leave your mother alone. She'll, she'll be down in a minute. Leave your mother alone. But I just have this very vivid memory of being in that house and just seeing, you know, as short as I was at five years old, just seeing all these legs everywhere. And then I finally went up and found her in her bedroom and she sat me down and was like, I have to tell you something. Daddy died in a car accident. And I don't think at that age, I really quite understood what death was. We had had a dog that died, but I don't think that was ever, I knew the dog just wasn't coming back. Sheba just wasn't coming back anymore. But I don't think I quite understood. But I do remember sitting on her bed and crying because I think I knew death was like, I knew Sheba wasn't coming back. So that meant my dad wasn't coming back.
2: And I'm assuming your brother wasn't there for that conversation because he was too little? Oh, yeah, he was so little.
1: I mean, he was, I guess, a little over two. I don't know what kind of conversation my mother had with him or how she said it or or what she said, but I'm sure something simple was communicated to him.
2: So Lindsay grows up having been told that her dad died in a car accident. She was also told that the accident was due to carbon monoxide poisoning. As children, we tend to take what we're told at face value. And yet, at the same time, if it doesn't make sense, we puzzle over it, or we get nervous about it. We can't quite let it go. We create our own narratives, as Lindsay does here.
1: I remember asking, and my mom said something along the lines of, if you stay in your car for too long with the windows rolled up, carbon monoxide can get in your car and it can kill you. So. The way that was explained to me, I didn't quite get it. So like when I was a kid at red lights in the car, I would crack my window a little bit because I was afraid that would happen if we sat at a red light for too long with our windows rolled on.
2: Does your mom remarry? She did. Yeah.
1: When I was about
2: 10. How did you experience loss of your father? Like, How did you internalize it and how did you think about him as you were growing up, as you got a little bit older? As your mom remarried, as you got to middle school, high school, how did that sit
1: inside of you? First and foremost, I just, I missed him, but I think I'd always felt like I didn't know anybody else my age whose father had died. So I guess it made me feel really left out sometimes, or if I would go to a friend's house and see them, like, you know, their father hug them or their father be there at dinner or their father take them somewhere, take us somewhere, that was always like a reminder, I don't have that. I don't have a my biological dad here anymore. It wasn't something I think I thought about 24 hours a day, but I would notice it in moments like that, and it just made me feel kind of left out or othered, or it made me feel sad.
2: How old are you when you learn that there's more to the story than carbon monoxide poisoning? As I grew
1: up, I would see very like, sporadically, not often. But once in a while I would see somebody it portrayed in like a TV show or a movie where somebody would get in their car and attach it, you know, rig their car up so that that would happen. And I remember thinking, well, that's weird. And I remember hearing carbon monoxide said out loud in at least one or two of these shows or movies. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That guy did it on purpose. I was told it was an accident of what happened to my dad, that it wasn't on purpose. And when I was in high school, my stepdad, my stepdad has two brothers. One is awesome, and we see him all the time at holidays and whenever our families get together. The other one, I think, has struggled with mental illness his whole life, and he would do odd things. And there was one time when I was in high school, and he called our house, and I answered. The, I happened to be the one to answer the phone, and you know, maybe we had caller ID then. I don't know. It was like the house phone. And I just said, hello. And he said, Lindsay, why did your dad kill himself? And I was like, okay, mom, Jack's on the phone. (laughs) Like, what, what is this? You know, she took the phone and I guess they had their conversation. And then when she hung up, I told her what he said and she said, oh, he's crazy. Don't listen to him. That's not true. I was like, okay. He had done some, had some kind of erratic and odd behavior in the past. So I didn't think to like question um what she said and then when I was I guess I was like 22 or 23 I had gotten accepted into an AmeriCorps program just kind of like Peace Corps but in America and I needed my birth certificate or a copy of my birth certificate for it and I was always I'm embarrassed to admit but I was such a snoop when I was a kid it's always like going through stuff in my house that was not mine but this wasn't even like intentional snooping i really i knew we had this file cabinet in the basement that had documents in it and i don't know if my mom wasn't home or if i just didn't want to bother her and i went looking for my birth certificate and i found my dad's death certificate and i remember it was a plain simple piece of paper and there were different options like natural causes illness a few other things and suicide and i just remember there's a big typewriter looking X next to suicide and i was like whoa it you know was the first time i guess it was really confirmed for me and i think in the back of my mind i think i knew that's what it was even though my mom told me it wasn't it was based on those depictions that i had seen in tv shows and movies and i think i just didn't want to really accept that as the truth and then i didn't really have a choice but to accept it when i saw it on the paper
2: you know, it's so interesting when you when you bring up snooping because that's such a theme with people who have had secrets kept from them. I think we so often become these little sleuths or snoops, you know, without having any idea why. But it becomes this like little obsessive behavior.
1: It was kind of. It's funny that you say that. it was, it was like a little private investigator. Yeah, I guess that now hearing you say that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't think I could have put into words before. I think I I think I always thought I was just like a rude little kid. <laughs> that was like, I'm going to find some things out that I'm probably not supposed to.
2: If you can call it back to mind, what did it feel like that moment that you saw that ex next to suicide?
1: I think physically the feeling I felt was like my stomach dropped. But then in my mind, I, I almost said to myself, duh, you've known this jack said it you've seen this in movies you just weren't letting the puzzle pieces all get pushed together in the right arrangement i think i kind of didn't want to believe it so i didn't believe it but then i i had to when i found that paper
2: we'll be back in a moment with more family secrets
0: this is it your moment Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Get emotional with me, Ravi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry.
2: I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom
1: Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock, it's going to catch you down the road. Go through it, deal with it.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Now Lindsay knows, unequivocally, that her mother has actively kept from her the fact of her father's suicide. She had directly asked, and her mother had said, and I quote, no, no, that didn't happen. She sits on this information for a little while, wrestling with it privately. She also doesn't want to cause her mother pain. Sometimes it's easier not to
1: say anything at all. I think I was old enough to think, not like, oh my God, she lied to me, I can't believe she did that. But I think I had the thought, well, there must be a reason she lied about it. There must be a reason she didn't want me to know. I think I was worried about like upsetting her or... I wouldn't say I was scared, I was more nervous to say anything. So I just, that's kind of my MO, I'm like nervous. Sometimes if I'm scared or nervous to do something, I just don't do it or I put it off or I procrastinate it. So it wasn't until a couple months later when I was actually away, I was in Denver, Colorado at a training for my AmeriCorps program. And one night, I'm really not sure what inspired me to do it but I just called her, I just was like, I'm gonna do this now and I called her and told her what I found and I just remember hearing this not an angry sigh not a sad sigh just a I don't know if it was relief or if it was worry or if I don't know what it was but she just kind of sighed and said yep yeah that's what happened and I remember asking her like you know why didn't you tell me and her response was just you know When should I have? There never was a right time. I didn't know how to tell a five year old little girl that. And when do I do it? When you're 10, when you're 15, 18, 21, there never was a right time. And I just never knew when to drop that bomb. And, you know, it's like, I get that. (laughs) That's kind of sometimes kind of the way I operate if I'm scared or I don't know how I just don't do it. I think I remember being a little bit like, you lied to me. Why you lied to me? And I think her response was just kind of, well, I panicked. You know, I didn't expect Jack to call and say anything like that to you. That's not, you know, if you ever were to know, that's not the way I wanted you to to find out. I wasn't mad or anything, but I was grateful that we had that conversation and that she did open up about it. And
2: did she give you any sense of the reason for or the motivation behind Your father's suicide? Did she talk about his being in any way unstable or mentally ill or depressed?
1: Not really. It was kind of like my whole life, she didn't speak highly of him, but she also didn't speak poorly of him. She just didn't really speak about him much at all. And I I noticed, you know, throughout my life, if I had a question about him or I brought him up, it almost seemed like she kind of like winced or like her body tensed up and that communicated to me like maybe I shouldn't bring him up too often because it just seemed like uncomfortable or maybe painful for her. She just said in that conversation when I was in Denver just that he was very he was very depressed he was having a hard time but she really didn't give me any kind of details about anything.
2: You know it's, it's also so interesting I think when as children Or in families, when we sense that a subject is painful or off-limits or, you know, you describe your mother as wincing, that serves to keep us quiet. It serves to, you know, like not want to cause pain, not want to rock the boat in any
1: way. I think it too was like my mother, I've always just seen her as perfect and strong and I didn't want to do anything to make her not feel like that or to upset her, to make her feel sad.
2: Lindsay grows up to be a successful adult with a great job. She has the whole story. She knows all there is to know about how she lost her father. She's moved on. If you were to come across her Facebook page, you'd see whatever she'd made public on social media, perhaps a few photos and posts, the information that she worked for a nonprofit and had graduated from Villanova. You know, so many family secret stories would not have come to light if not for social media. And what you're about to hear next is one of them.
1: Yeah, I think with my early 30s, I got a Facebook message from a man named Brian. He um, was a very handsome older man with you know, gray hair and like a gray goatee. And this message said, I knew your dad and I knew your grandmother we were friends it looks like you live a really great life right now i think your dad would be very happy to see that and when i first read it it caught me off guard because my father just wasn't spoken of often really even between my brother and i that much um, and we didn't see my father's side of the family very often either so it just wasn't a topic that came up a lot i thought about it a lot but it wasn't something that was like spoken about a lot so to have this you know essentially a stranger sent me this message, you know, part of it was just, it just really caught me off guard and I didn't really know how to respond to it. So I didn't. And then I asked my mom about the name and she said, oh, no, yeah, y- y- you don't really have to respond to that person. Like, you know, it didn't show any kind of emotion in her face. Didn't just was like, ah, oh, yeah, that might've been someone from your dad's past. No, you don't have to respond to him. I was like, all right. So
2: your mother says, no need to get back to him. So that door gets closed. And
1: then what happens? Well, I guess fast forward maybe like five, six, seven years. And generally, the education and training programs that I do are around Baltimore City um, and Baltimore County. But one of my coworkers who lives on the eastern shore of Maryland and she, you know, does education around there, she was out on medical leave and she had this class that she did at. A facility in Delaware that supports folks who are in recovery from drugs and alcohol and my supervisor was like hey listen I know this is super far away it's just once a month can you cover these until your coworker is out of medical leave and I was like sure no problem and I had just started to get into listening to podcasts and I was like amazing I've got like a two plus hour drive you know five probably five hours round trip I was in my car that day and I think that's around the time is when I stumbled on your podcast Family Secrets and I found myself so immersed into the episodes and they made the drive feel like it was 20 minutes and I remember pulling up to the facility on the first class that I did there and I was like "God, I wish I wish the drive were longer um <laughs> I you know totally enjoyed my class with them and then I was really excited to get back in the car and listen to more and I found myself relating with a lot of the guests that you had and I thought to myself wow we had a family secret, but I already figured mine out, you know, finding my father's death certificate. And it started to make me think, as I heard some of your guests say, sometimes when they found out the secret that was within their family, the secret keepers had, had passed away. And they were not able to ask the questions to those people that they wanted to ask. And i I'm almost finished your book, Danny. I have <laughs> like six pages left. I was hoping to have it done before I got on the call with you today. But I noticed that It sounded like that was something for you, too, that you wished you had been able to ask your parents about your family secret. So I thought to myself, you know, my mom doesn't love to talk about my father that much. So I really need to start reaching out to people that I know and find out some more stories, because if I don't find these out, they're going to leave this earth with the people that know them. Lindsay
2: is right. That was such a fear and preoccupation of mine as well when I first discovered my family secret. My parents were gone, and they had taken it to the grave with them. But there was a great sense of urgency to identify and find those who were still living and might still know something. Those people started to rise to the surface of my consciousness as if they had been there all along, just waiting in line.
1: For some reason, this message from Brian, like, I never forgot about it. I never deleted it. But it came back to my mind once in a while, and it certainly came back to my mind in those thoughts. And I thought to myself, I should really respond to him. I wonder, you know, how he knew my dad or or what kinds of stories he could tell. So I responded to him and he wrote me back almost immediately and I think accidentally tried to call me on Facebook audio. And I remember seeing my phone ring and I was like, oh, God, no, I shouldn't have done this. Oh, I don't know if I want I'm not ready to speak. What's happening? I think the message I wrote him was something along those lines and not with much detail, but, you know, I just wanted to reach out and see if you might be willing to speak with me on the phone. I would love to hear some stories about my father. And he was very willing to do that. And so we set up a date to talk and it was a date. I think I did this on purpose because I was meeting some friends for brunch and the place where we're meeting was about 40 minutes away from where I live. So I made this date to call him on my way out there and I don't wanna say anxious was what I felt, but it was like, oh my God, what's gonna happen? What's this gonna be? And when I called him, he sounded kind of slightly out of breath a little bit. And I kind of gave him like the background that I just gave you, you know, what prompted me to finally respond to the message. And he said, okay. And he, you know, asked me a few questions about, you know, what did you know about your mom and dad's relationship? And what did you know about your dad? And I kind of was like, why is he asking me this stuff? Like, I just wanna hear some stories. And he you know, OK, OK. And he said, well, your dad was gay and he and I had an affair.
2: And there it is, the secret that had been lurking beneath the secret. The first secret, suicide. The second secret, Lindsay's father's sexuality. And then there's more.
1: And I said, what'd you say? And he, re- he repeated himself. And I was like, wow. And he goes, did you have any idea? And I said, nope. <laughs> no, I didn't. He went on to tell me all sorts of stories about how they met, and there were some things that were very heartwarming, there were some things that were also kind of upsetting and scary, and I think gave me a little bit more of a view into my father's mental health.
2: I would imagine that being five years old and losing your father, one has lost someone that one has never really gotten to know, in a way except for these flashes and these childhood memories. And so now you're getting this avalanche of information,
1: right? Yeah, uh, that's a good way of saying it. It did feel kind of like an avalanche and it wasn't an unwelcomed avalanche. It was like, I was kind of like, wow, okay, this is giving me a much broader picture of who my dad was and, you know, what he felt like and what he went through. And after speaking with Brian, I, I, you know, I reached out to a few other people and they all said similar things, that he, I don't know that he was ever diagnosed, but that he had bipolar disorder. I never saw the the depressive states. I, I think, I don't know if I saw manic states or if I saw, you know, what he wanted me to see or what I wanted to see maybe for that matter. But one of the first things he said was, your father was the most charming and charismatic person I've ever met. And he said, when they met, they had this just instant connection You know, they met, sat in his car and talked for like three hours, um, getting to know each other. And how did they meet? They met at a gym. I didn't ask too much, too many details on like, you know, how that interaction or who walked up to who or how that went down. But I guess what I picture is they saw each other and kind of their eyes locked and went towards each other and just started chatting.
2: But of course, even as this beautiful love story is playing out, someone is suffering terribly because of it. Lindsay's mother.
1: That's what I think was extremely hurtful for my mother, is that she didn't know about his sexuality, and he was cheating on my mom with this person. And I think after speaking to several family members, and Brian, and eventually my mother, you know, it was the 80s, and I think he was struggling with his sexuality, and he was suppressing who he knew he was, because I think he wanted to have this kind of stereotypical life of a wife and kids and, you know, white picket fence. I don't think he necessarily felt that in his heart was 100% who he was. And that combined with his mental illness made his internal struggle really, really, really difficult for himself. I think it was hard for him to just come out and be out and be who he was in, this was what, 1984, 1985. The world was extremely homophobic, I think, back then. Compared to 2020, when I think folks are a lot more accepting than they were, you know, 40 years ago.
2: Did his affair, your father's affair with Brian, have something to do with your parents' divorce?
1: It did, yeah. It was only a couple of weeks ago I finally talked to my mom about everything. And I think I was kind of trying to, like, gather my facts and find my information before I talked to her. It was another thing. I was just nervous to talk to her about it.
2: We'll be right back.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. Oh, that's
2: not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow.
0: In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: A long time elapses between the time Lindsay reaches out to Brian and learns more of the truth about her father and when she decides to actually tell her mother what she's discovered. A phrase comes up. It was never the right time. This, you might remember, is what Lindsay's own mother had told Lindsay about why she never revealed her father's suicide. It was never the right time. This is true of so many families and so many secrets. We wait. We think that the stars will align, that there will be a perfect moment.
1: But there never is. I'm embarrassed to say it's almost a year, not quite, but almost a year, maybe about 10 months. I guess I was nervous. I was afraid of upsetting her. I'm so close to her. I, I hold her as like one of my best friends. She's somebody I feel very lucky to have that relationship with her, and I can talk to her about just about anything. But I was really nervous to talk to her about this. I think I was afraid of re-traumatizing her and making her like rehash all this. The assumption that I made was that this must have been so difficult for her to deal with when she found out about his affair that she just kind of tucked it away in a little box and put it in a closet and was like, I'm never going back there again. So I was kind of afraid to reopen that box for her. and. The timing was never right i was like if i tell her right away i'm going to ruin that that could ruin that vacation and then all oh, the holidays are coming up it's going to ruin the holidays and then we had a trip that we were my husband and i my husband's family live in, parents i should say live in florida and he and i and my mom and stepdad were going down there for like a long weekend in february and i was like oh it's gonna ruin that trip and then it was saint patrick's weekend my mom and i were supposed to go up to new york to stay with her sister for the weekend it's kind of like a, a little tradition we started, I guess a year ago and, you know, to see a show and to have dinner and do New Yorky things. And we had to cancel the trip because of Corona. And my plan was to talk to her on the train ride home. because so I was like, oh, we'll have at least three hours alone together. That's going to be the time that I do it. And then we had to cancel the trip. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> now we're all quarantined. When am I going to have this conversation? Because it was really important to me to do it in person. I just felt like it would be unkind or rude or, or mean even to just do it over the phone. Um, I really wanted to be able to do it in person. And then I think when I finally got the email from your producer to set up a date for this call, I said, well, now my my, ticker. my time is uh, counting down. I have to do this before I have this call.
2: Nothing like a deadline.
1: Right, right, because I, I really didn't feel comfortable recording this episode without like speaking to her first and making sure that she was okay with it because i guess i kind of looked at it as this is not just my story this is her story this didn't happen to me this happened to her or you know happened to us one of the hot topics that i teach and train about is consent and i wanted to make sure that i had her consent before i did this
2: and how did she respond
1: she was very surprised the only time i've been out to a restaurant during all of the social distancing and it's outdoor seating we were the only people there so it was very safe we went to lebanese taverna which is delicious and she had i think like a chicken shawarma wrap in one hand and her fork in the other hand and i said i need to talk to you about something and i saw her face kind of drop as i'm sure any mother would when their daughter says that it's like oh my gosh what's going to come out of my child's face right now and i gave all these qualifiers like i was nervous to bring this up and wasn't sure how to do it and I don't want to upset you I'm afraid you'll be mad at me and I talked to a man named Brian she dropped her wrap and she dropped her fork and went oh really (laughs) we both had sunglasses on but she almost looked like scared and that made me feel awful because I didn't you know I didn't want to upset her I didn't want to make her mad kind of jumped in and said I can't imagine what that must have been like for you I'm so sorry that happened to you You didn't deserve it. And I was just wondering if we could talk about it. And she kind of like, I could see her relax slightly. And then she kind of dropped her guard and really just kind of shared everything it sounded like with me with what happened.
2: Do you think maybe after holding that for so many years, that there was some relief?
1: Well, I asked her that. I mean, it turned into a three hour lunch. And I said towards the end, How are you feeling? How do you feel? Do you feel relieved? And she said, Kind of, or I feel like I should feel relieved, but I don't fully feel that. And I was like, Oh no, maybe I shouldn't have done this. And she went on to say, I don't know if I feel relieved because I don't really think about this much anymore. She said, I've done a lot of work on myself and I think I've moved past it to the point where I don't really think about it much anymore.
2: What happened with Brian? You've had a you know, an ongoing connection with him?
1: I think he kind of was able to share some stories and give some insight onto who my father was and what he was like that I don't know that I would have found out otherwise. After I had that initial conversation with him, I then was like, you know, immediately reached out to my brother. And he was just kind of, what? (laughs) what (laughs) you know this our father to my brother was kind of almost like this phantom person that he doesn't really remember and after i spoke with him i reached out to my dad's sister and we set up a time to speak and i really wish that some of these conversations i had had in person because i kind of wanted to see their facial expressions but you know i was so nervous for all these different conversations with people and come to find out they were expecting me to ask this so i called my dad's sister you know set up this time to speak and i again because i was nervous you know gave all this beginning so you know kind of just doing some finding some stories huh? and i told her what i found out and she said lindsay i've been waiting over 30 years for you to ask me about this and she you know shared a whole lot and then i called my godfather who was good friends with my father and he said something similar And I told my brother about all this and he said, do you think we're the only people in the family that don't know? And I was like, wow, that hadn't occurred to me. But yeah, I think you might be right. And my brother was working for about six weeks in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And Brian lives in Florida, not far from where Mitchie was working. And I'm not sure which one of them got in touch with each other first, but... And I'm not sure who proposed the idea, but they decided to meet up in person. And Mitchie called me and told me that. And I said, do you want me to book a ticket and come with you? And he goes, this is a really big deal. I said, I know. Do you want me to book a ticket and come down? And he goes, this is a really big deal. And I said, okay, I'll book a ticket and come down. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So his wife and I flew down and we met up with Brian for lunch the next day. And... You know, I shared all of this with my mom. I told her everything at the lunch that we had. And I think it was hurtful for her to hear that Mitchell and I went and met this man that our father had an affair on her with. But he was so open and so honest and shared so many stories, but, you know, good and bad.
2: Remember, Lindsay's father was a magician. And as a magician, he had certain tools of his trade. White doves and a white rabbit he used in his shows. Brian tells Lindsay a story that must have been terribly hard to hear about an argument the two of them had at one point, one that illustrates just how much mental anguish Lindsay's dad must have been dealing with.
1: He was so angry that he picked up his rabbit and he threw it against the wall and killed it. I don't say that to speak poorly of my father or to make him sound like a scary monster person, but that was his mental illness acting out and making him make that choice. So Brian shared things like that with us, but he also shared, you know, like your father was so charismatic and everyone loved him. And Brian even went on to tell us that he was actually in a relationship with somebody, with a a man when he met our father and, you know, was also having kind of an affair of his own. But Brian said, if this speaks anything to the charisma that your father had, and said, my partner even got to be friends with your dad. (laughs) Like your dad even won him over. And I was like, wow. (laughs) And it was just kind of surreal. It was a meeting. That was a story I never thought I would hear. I feel guilty saying this because I know my mom would not like to hear me say this but I'm grateful for the experience. And it was just, I guess, kind of a beautiful thing to meet somebody who knew our dad on such a deep level. How do you think
2: that knowing all this now
1: impacts you? Are you glad you know? I am glad I know. I think all of the processing and I've talked to some of my friends about the story, my husband, my brother. I'm glad that I know. And several people have said to me, like, are you mad at your mom for not telling you? And I said, I'm not mad at her at all. I have nothing but admiration, if not, you know, more than I had before that she went through this and she gave me her, her version of things. She had no idea that anything like this was going on. My dad often would say he was working late and then would come home at like three o'clock in the morning or, you know, he wouldn't come home at all. She would, would call a hospital and be like, is he in an accident? Like what happened? She said he took her to see a play and the plot of the play was about a man and a woman that were married and the man was gay and cheating on her with other men. And she said it was at that play that she was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is what's happening in my marriage. And she, maybe this is where I got my private investigation skills from, but she, (laughs) she did some snooping of her own and found some, some things that like confirmed this for her and confronted him and said, I want a divorce. I know what's going on. This is, this relationship will go no further. And I think just the way that she like raised us, she didn't, she could have just bashed him every day to us if she wanted to. She could have put awful visions of our father in our heads and she didn't, you know, she just didn't speak about it much at all. And she picked herself up and she kept going, which I think must've been so incredibly hard to have two tiny children and then have your husband be cheating on you and, you know, have no idea that's going on. And then it's, I just, I can't imagine what that must have been like for her and to have to make that choice of, no, we're done. We will be no longer. But she just kept going. And I told her when we had lunch, I said, I have so much admiration for you. You're so strong. You could have started drinking. You could have started doing drugs. You could have done a million things to like cope with this. But you just got up every day. You got us up every day. You took care of us. You went to work. I had no idea that my mom ever went through anything like this. There were no clues. There were no mutterings or utterings of anything along these lines. So I said that to her and she said, well, what else was I going to do? I had two kids. I needed to focus on the good and I needed to move forward and make sure you guys were taken care of and, and well.
2: The homophobia of the era also played a significant part in Lindsay's mom's decision not to tell her kids the truth. And Lindsay's understanding of the choices her mother made and her reasons for them have brought the two of them even closer together. So ultimately, this is a story that contains tragedy, sorrow, secrecy, and loss, but also a deepening love between a mother and a daughter.
1: I said to her, why didn't you tell us? And I was kind of expecting the same answer as, you know, there never was a right time. And that's part of what she said. But she also said she was worried about telling us the whole truth because she was afraid that we would get bullied because people were not accepting of folks in the LGBTQ community then. And I was like, wow, that never occurred to me as, as a reason for why she wouldn't have told us. And then I think as time moved forward, it was kind of, again, like, when's the right time? How do I share this with them? And if she had told us when we were kids, we probably would have just accosted her every day with like a million and one questions, kind of making her relive all of this over and over and over again. So I think it was a combination of trying to protect us and also trying to protect herself.
2: That makes me think of another kind of thematic family secrets thing that runs through a lot of stories, which is that what we find out and when we find it out have a lot to do with how we're going to be able to process or how a family is able to process a secret having been kept, and that this is a secret that came out in the fullness of time, kind of when everybody could handle everything about it.
1: Yeah, that's definitely how I've looked at it. Like, I'm grateful to to have found out when I did, because I think I'm enough of an adult to be able to process that in a healthy and normal way. I don't know how I would have processed that if I found it when I was five, when I was 10, when I was 15. You know, I don't know how my brain would have handled that.
2: The one other thing that occurs to me is, as you're talking about your mother, is that this is actually, I mean, your, your love for your mother is so clear and your respect for her. This is a way of actually knowing her better and having even more dimensionality to her
1: for you. Yeah, I think knowing all this and also finally hearing her version of everything just makes me want to cuddle her up and hug her forever. You know, when you think you can't love a person more and then you find you do, I guess that's kind of my reaction to it. And I know it's weird for me to say I'm proud of her, but I am proud of her, I think, for, like I said earlier, getting up every day and keeping a routine and raising her kids with love and kindness and moving forward in her life. Everybody has their own different version of the story and different kind of interactions with each other. But yeah, I think it gave us kind of a a new, maybe moved us to like a new level in our relationship where we can talk to each other about this. And it really felt like almost felt like when she when we were at lunch and she was telling me everything we were friends like it wasn't a daughter mother dynamic it was like we were friends and feeling that didn't make me feel nervous or panicked it kind of made me feel even closer to her that we have not only a mother-daughter relationship but also a really strong foundation of friendship
2: Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer, and Bethann Macaluso is the executive producer. We'd also like to give a special thanks to Tyler Klang and Tristan McNeil. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, leave us a voicemail, and your story could appear on an upcoming episode. Our number is 1-888-SECRET-0. That's secret and then the number zero. You can also find us on Instagram... At Danny Writer and Facebook at Facebook.com slash Family Secrets Pod and Twitter at Fam Pod.
0: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa, And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying a A podcast.
1: podcast.